Hi folks, I'm Sajith Matthews. I'm a member of uh, First Church here in Sterling Heights. Uh, Pastor Hoffman had uh, asked me to take a Bible class um, this Wednesday, which I was happy to do. Uh, my prayer is that you would uh, forgive me. This is my first time doing this um, here, and I just pray that this will be of uh, a blessing to you as we look to the Word of God together. Um, right now we're going through some very difficult times as many of us would love to be together in fellowship as a church, seeing one another and talking to one another and sharing with one another. And that's been taken away from us in some ways because of the coronavirus. And we are finding ways to strengthen our faith, to sustain our faith. And in some ways, it's been a blessing that the internet has come into our lives in this era because it really has sustained many of us by way of um, the internet. Um, I believe these are some of the thoughts that the Lord has placed upon my heart and that it would be of a blessing to you. I don't have a whole lot that I want to share, but I want the word to really minister to us. You know, one of the things that the Lord has really convicted me of is this book speaks for itself. And as long as we're really able to break this word and we're able to share what the word is saying, our inner man is strengthened. And as I was meditating on that thought, um, a quote came to me um, that was brought to my attention um, many years ago. And it's a story um, of Corrie ten Boom, who was a Christian in the Netherlands, who was put in the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany for hiding um, Jews. And she and her sister were put there during that time, and they didn't have a whole lot to keep themselves strong. But one thing they had was a Bible that they had hid in their room. And I want to read this quote to you, which I think is so inspiring. Corrie ten Boom is writing this in her book called The Hiding Place. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Will you carry this too, Lord Jesus? But as the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear, and that was the reason that the two of us were here. She's talking about herself and her sister. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Like waves clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about it, holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him 
that loved us. It's a great picture of a group of people in a concentration camp with one Bible, and it's a dark, cold environment, and there is one thing that is blazing from which they're all gaining their warmth, and that is the Word of God. And though we're not together physically, we are gathering by the internet to come before the Word of God and gain warmth for our souls. We're coming before the Word of God to gain strength for our souls. We want to be able to strengthen our faith during this time. Uh, we're in a time when facts and statistics don't seem to offer a lot of consolation. It seems to only increase our anxiety. It only seems to increase our worries. But there is something else that's quite alive in us who are believers, who are born into Christ, and that is the faith that he has put within us. And my hope during these days is that our faith comes alive like no other time. As the night grows darker around us, let our faith grow brighter. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. had a quote. He said, when it gets really, really dark, that's when you can see the stars. And I think that's what this is about for believers. That as the environment around us gets really, really dark, it becomes crystal clear in us. There's a conviction of the truth of God's promises. It becomes clearer and clearer and clearer, not because we have a lot of backdrop and, 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 and consolations and, and things that we can fall back on, but our faith within us can see it with clarity. And the Word of God is the way in which our faith can truly be strengthened. So I hope that you can um, stand with me in the Spirit, and I hope that the Spirit of God is able to minister through His Word this evening, and you're able to gain strength from what the Word of God has to say. I wanted to share some thoughts today from the book of Joel. Um, as I was meditating and spending some time in the Word, God put the book of Joel um, in my spirit, and I began to read the book of Joel with some degree of, of focus. The book of Joel is oftentimes a book that's that's mentioned, especially in in Pentecostal churches, because it's a it's a it's a passage that that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. But I think there's a lot more that we can that we can glean from the book of Joel, and I'm hoping that we can go through a few of these scriptures together and see what the Lord has to say to us today. Um, the book of Joel really is broken down. Um, I'd like to break it down really into four parts. And uh, Joel begins by talking about an invasion of locusts that plague the land of Israel um, and Judah. And then there is a time of repentance for the people that they are able to really seek the Lord during a time when tremendous devastation had fallen upon their land. And then there is a restoration of all that they had lost in crops 
and in in um, in a state of devastation that's reversed. But most importantly, there is finally a revival where it is not just a restoration of things in the natural, but he pours out his spirit upon flesh and revives his people. And I think that's the highest point of where God restores us. is not just in a reversal of the natural things, but instead it is that he pours out his spirit and revives our souls in a, in a, in a new way, in a refreshing, uh, renewed life that we have with God. So if I can give, as Pastor says, a title to this, a plague, I'd call it a plague that led to repentance, that led to a restoration, that led to a revival. So I'd like to take a few moments and go through these uh, parts. Just a couple of thoughts about the book of Joel that um, we don't always um, um, talk about. It was probably dated about in the ninth uh, century in post-exilic um, 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 times. And we don't know much about, um, about Joel. Um, so... Let's go ahead and read the first part, which is really the invasion of locusts that fall upon the land. So just follow with me. We'll be passing through a few scriptures in the Bible. So I hope you have your Bibles in front of you. Won't be flipping too much, but we'll be flipping a little bit. So keep your Bibles handy. Um, so let's read this. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has eaten, the great locusts have eaten. Have left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Many people have looked at this invasion of locusts and have tried to interpret it. Some interpret this as having been the armies of, of the north, Babylon, Medes, and Persia. But most 
scholars will will say that this really was actual locusts. This natural disaster, this natural invasion of their crops probably left them with more devastation than an army probably would have because it was an agricultural society and without crops, they were not able to go on as, as a nation. And here it is, a plague that has fallen upon the land of God's people and the locusts have eaten it until there is absolutely nothing left. If there was something left, something else came and ate it up. So you see this here in verse 4. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. It left the people fundamentally in a depleted state because of this natural disaster that had come. And it, 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 led, it led them to absolute despair. It says here, the priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. It, 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 was, a, it was a disaster that, that really shook the confidence of, of the people. You know, we are in a time where if we had an army you know, if this was if this was an army, you, you, the outcome may have been different. But even 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 for us, we are not seeing an enemy that we can say is a people, but it's a virus, an unseen thing that has taken over, and it has caused a tremendous degree of of panic for so many people, and. You, when you read this, you can relate to some extent. We are not in a place of utter devastation, but we certainly know what it is to be struck hard and to have some of our confidence taken away. Some degree of panic and angst and anxiety that we can feel in our society and to some extent even in the church where we, we are constantly being exposed to what the media has to say, what people have to say, the hysteria with shopping and things like that, that it starts to become a fear-provoking thing. Here, Joel is really going beyond that. He talks about a situation that is utterly um, a, a trifecta. Um, here, we, we, we don't just see locusts that have come and eaten up the land. If you read verse 10, it says, The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, and the oil fails. It's locusts. We're also seeing a famine, and we're also seeing a drought. You know, it's not oftentimes, sometimes when one thing happens to us, we seem to still be able to pull along okay. But it's when two or three things happen in a combined nature that we really get struck. We, we can't go on. We, we really have been hit hard. I, I don't know if you've been there. I've been there where I, 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 something happened and, and, it, and it shook my confidence to the core. And it took me many months of having to really regain that strength uh, within um, and that confidence within to move forward. But we're not talking about natural confidence. What we're talking about is confidence 
in the inner man. Sometimes our faith is shaken. We, we wonder about how secure we are in the hand of God. Are we sustained in the same way? You know, sometimes it's just those kinds of situations where the enemy injects a thought and we, and we start to behave the way that the world behaves. But as believers, when, when these kinds of natural disasters or, or, or natural events happen, that's a time for us to press in, for time for us to pull in. We have to tap into a different wavelength than what the world taps into. And that's a wavelength of faith. Uh, a peace that passeth all understanding. I think that that's a, that's a term that carries real meaning during this time. You know, what is it that settles us deeply within when the circumstances around us seem to be up and down? They seem to be in a, in a sense of turmoil. And that is when we really have to dig into the roots, when we really have to dig into the life in the spirit and have our faith strengthened so that the peace of God is able to keep us settled as we keep moving forward. So this is the situation in which um, the people find themselves in this, uh, in this prophecy uh, by the book of Joel. And I think to some extent we can relate. Uh, although it's not a natural disaster, we know that, you know, viruses or diseases, the way that they affect us can, can do the same thing. I don't think any of us ever predicted six months ago that we would be in this state of, uh, of fear or panic or, or, or worry um, worldwide. You know, I, I make a phone call, not just here, if I call India, speak to a, a relative, they're in lockdown, and they're in their houses, and they can meet together as a church. And you can see, to some extent, a sense of um, of sadness and depression, because they've been, they're always so used to coming together and, and, and strengthening one, of the, one another, just the same way that, that we are. And so it's it's worldwide that this, that this has uh, affected people, but... <clears throat> that's part of that's part of um, this phase of what we're what we're experiencing, um, but that's just one part of Joel's prophecy, and I think we need to follow this trajectory in, in terms of how God works. Okay, if we see one part of how this has happened, that there has been an invasion of locusts, the story is not over there. If we're believers. It's over there for many people. You know, if your faith is not there, you know, your confidence is shattered. You know, sometimes people just give up. They say, well, you know, there's, you know, I lost a family member. I lost, I lost a lot of money in the stocks. And so just throw your hands in the air. But for believers, the story is not over because we're part of a bigger plan that God is unfolding through this first event. You know, a lot of times the external event is to get our attention. Perhaps this is a time when we're spending more time at home and we're starting to notice we're having conflicts. Um, we, you know, there may be some uncertainty with our job circumstances. Um, we're just, we're just feeling low because our natural rhythm of things are not, are not what they used to be. They, that's been taken away from us. But these are God's ways of getting our attention. These are God's ways of probing us. For people of God, 
anytime an outside circumstance happens, you know, we, our inclination shouldn't be, let me go and fix that outside circumstance. There's plenty of people out there right now, healthcare professionals and, and politicians and first responders and, and all the essential workers, as they call it, they're all kind of trying to fix the problem. And that's important. We need a stable society. But as believers, that's a wake-up call from the outside to turn inside and spend time seeking the Lord. What is he trying to say to us in this season? What is he trying to reveal to us in this season? And that's what we see in the second part of, um, of chapter 1. So, Joel chapter 1, we'll start reading from verse 13. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord, Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the foot been cut off before our very eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods, the storehouses are in ruins, the granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan, the herds mill about, because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures." That's a tough passage to read. That is a place where we are really crying out with a sense of helplessness. You know, in, in, in the world of positive thinking, this is, not, this is not the kind of state that you want to find yourself. You need to find some kind of antidote thought, you know, of, of, of how this is not as bad or you're trying to look for a, a silver lining. And that's good in, 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 in some ways. But... This is a difficult place to be, to really come before God and feel the weight of the situation and spend time mourning and fasting and seeking the Lord in that season. And sometimes we find ourselves and a lot of the landmarks that we were able to trust in at one time, they've disappeared. They've disappeared and you're having to trust in something within. And there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. And the Lord is saying, that's okay. That's okay. That's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to feel the weight of that circumstance and I want you to run to my presence. That's got to be the impetus that what probes us and that says, I can't take this anymore. I've got to run to you for my refuge. Why? Because you are a kind and you are a merciful God and you hear my prayers and you answer me. 
You may have you may have done something to get my attention. You may have done something to chastise me, to admonish me, but it was never to condemn me. But it was always to remediate me, to bring me back to your presence, so that I can correct what needs correction, so that I can get rid of what needs to be gotten rid of. Sometimes we start our starting point is something in the natural. You know, sometimes it's our job circumstance. Sometimes it's something in the relationship. Something, you know, our physical health or uh, physical health of somebody um, that that we love. And, and that drives us initially into the presence of God. But have you, if you've noticed, if you stay there long enough, you go beyond that. And he starts to point at things within your own heart. Things within your own heart that need fixing. You started by praying for other people. But as you got closer and closer in communion with God, he started to show you a reflection, a reflection of things that have got to go. And now is a, a beautiful, beautiful season for us as believers where we're able to reflect, spend time in God's presence. That's not to despair. That's not to feel like that, you know, uh, there's just, there, he's, he's just shown me so much here in, in, in my time of prayer that I need to run in the other direction. That's not why he's doing that. He is doing that because he wants us to clean that up. And many of us have been afforded during this time an additional hour, an additional two hours in a given day where we're able to spend a little more time in God's presence, a little more time in prayer. And it's uncomfortable because we're used to, you know, a 20-minute routine or a 30-minute routine. And suddenly we're going to an hour routine or, you know, a two-hour routine. And it's not, in the beginning, it's that way. But once you get a taste for communion with God in his presence. Once you've spent time alone with God, not any distractions, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be any, any other um, supplements to kind of get you into God's presence anymore. You've gotten a taste for it and then you just keep going. He starts to reveal himself in deeper ways. And that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. And, and this can be really a time for that where we're able to spend time in God's presence, to reflect, to repent. You know, there's a, 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 the scripture in uh, verse 13, it says, rend your hearts. Um, uh, this is, uh, uh, this is chapter, this is chapter two, uh, verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You know, what he is really after is our hearts. Our hearts are what need the tearing apart. You know, so that we can, he, he's, you know, that in the old days, in, in the Old Testament days, they used to rend their open, their, their outer coats. That was a sign of righteousness. They'd, they'd rend open their outer courts. And that was a sign to other people, oh, look at me, I'm, 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 and my supplications before the Lord. But God was seeing their hearts and saying, that's not what I'm looking for. I want you to open your heart in front of me. And I want you to be open in my presence so that I can shed light into your heart. That's where he has his lordship. He has his lordship over the heart of man. We want all of ourselves to be in God's hand, that he is Lord. And the key to that 
is our hearts. So this is a time that God has given us to really open our hearts, not to despair, but to open our hearts and commune with him. And it, when this is over, there's a closeness and an intimacy that we will have established with the Lord that when we get back to our usual routine, we're not going to want to break away from this. You know, when I was a resident in my training, it was a very, very difficult time. And I, I, I came to a, a conviction that if I spent 45 minutes in the morning in prayer and in meditation, that it was going to do my soul good. And 45 minutes sometimes would go into an hour. And long after my residency was over, I long for that. I'm just completely restless in the morning. If I don't have my first bit of time communing with God, because it was established long ago. And so now is a time where you're able to do that for yourselves, that we can all do that for ourselves and build a bond um, in the spirit with the Lord. Um, a time of, of reflection, and, and it's one of the places where people who have the ministry of intercession are really able to press into God's presence and pray for this country, pray for the church, pray for your families. We don't necessarily need natural weapons to combat what we're coming against. That's not what sets us apart. It's the fact that we have been given spiritual weaponry, that we rise in the realms of the spirit and combat principalities and powers in heavenly places. And we are wrestling in the spirit to be able to strengthen ourselves and to strengthen our fellow believers. So this is a, a, a tremendous time to spend in prayer and in intercession. Um, you know, the, if, you, if you step into the hospital, you know, currently I'm, I'm rounding at, at, at the Detroit Medical Center. And it's a, it's a scene like no other. You know, I have been practicing now for 10 years and it is... It, Everybody is on edge. And if the church was able to pray and intercede on behalf of patients and their families and the healthcare workers, that there would be a peace over us and that there would be a time when this is going to pass over and we're able to start to feel light at the end of the tunnel. I think through prayer and intercession, we can hasten what it is that we're experiencing. There is an imminence that comes when we press in to the presence of God and intercede in the realms of the Spirit for the church and for His people and for the world around us. And this would open the door for people to really come to God. You know, there are so many people who have, colleagues of mine, who who, you know, God was really one of the last things he talked about. Suddenly, it's moved to the top one or two topics. And I've said, hmm, that's a change. And that's the way that God works. There are a lot of people who've, who've you know, that's the way, you know, once the inertia sets in and you're kind of busy with your life and your career and so on, God starts to, you're, you're going through the motions. But when circumstances like this happen, you pray more. So this, you, we could really pray that there would be a tremendous um, awakening in this land and in the lands throughout that people would look up, look up, not look around, but look up to God for their refuge and for their strength. And that we would, we would open the door for them if, 
if such an opportunity happens, to say, here's a way, here's a way. You can come to God and know Him and find Him. What you're looking for in this is perhaps the circumstance to bring you into that door. So I, I, I plead with, with all of us, really, but especially people who have that ministry of intercession to, to press in during this time um, to God's presence and, and, and fasting. Um, and, and it talks about priests, so people in the ministry, you know, the pastors and all of us, we, we have this wonderful time where we can rend our hearts before God and intercede um, for this world. Let's uh, let's go on to the next part, which is the Lord's response. Joel, uh, now we are in chapter 2, verse 18 onwards. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully, never again Will I make you an object of scorn to the nations? I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing you into a parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. I think they're really talking about Babylon um, in this passage. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years. Hallelujah. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed." What a turnaround from the passage that we read just a few moments ago. The answer from the Lord is always a complete reversal of what happened. So here was this plague that left them in drought, in devastation, in famine. There's no food to eat. The oil has dried up. There is no grain in the storehouse. There is mourning. There is weeping. Then there is prayer, there is supplication, and then there is the Lord's answer. The answer is, you could read this passage, you just, you, you just sometimes, you just feel full as you're reading it. You could see the lush abundance of his blessing as you read this passage. You see this. 
Be not afraid, O wild, verse 22. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Verse 24. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Uh, read this part in verse 23. They had gone through this tremendous drought. I don't know if you've been, you know, in some parts of the world, you know, the farmers are looking to the skies, and if the rain does not come, that spells absolute devastation. In sub-Saharan Africa, uh, you know, the monsoon, when those clouds start to gather, I mean, there is a rejoicing from men and beasts. Animals are thirsty, you know, wildebeest. They're just, they're waiting for the rains to arrive. And when it finally does... There is a dancing from men and beasts that God has blessed us with rains again. And um, that's, that's, the, that's the passage, that's, the, that's what we're reading here. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. This is what happens when God answers prayers. If you are in a circumstance where you feel you've lost a lot because of something that happened in the current set of circumstances or something that happened in the past, and you've never fully regained from it. There's a certain season that he brings you through, and you've got to go through that season. It's a difficult season, a, a, a season of soul-searching, a season where God is shedding light on certain things. You just wonder, how did this whole thing just get unraveled? And you've never been able to put it back together again. And all you can seem to see is just loss upon loss upon loss. But you can read this and all you can think about is what he did for Job. There was a restoration times seven. And in the same way, God is able to restore your life into a better place than where you were before. I, verse 25, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. The great locust, the young locust, the locust, and the locust swarm. You know, I think the King James says, I will restore unto you the years that the canker worm, the palmer worm, and the locust have eaten. I will restore that. So don't lose hope midway. The restoration is coming. And that's where faith comes alive. If you've ever been in a circumstance, you go to certain people, they don't give you a lot of hope. Sometimes you go to a doctor and you're, you're, you know, very grim prognosis. You go to somebody, you know, for financial evaluation. They don't give you a very good picture. And, and, and you wonder, Lord, what, what next? And if you stay in God's presence and when that season is done, he will restore abundantly. And he will bring you to a place that's much better than where you were before. And you're going to have to trust God during that season. You're going to have to be comforted by him guiding you through this time. So God has a way of completely reversing the circumstance. And you can, I mean, these scriptures really speak for themselves. It's such a, such a different setting than what we read in chapter 1. But that's not the ultimate work of God. When a situation 
in the natural turns back towards your favor. That's not the ultimate. I have heard many, many people give testimonies about how they were poor and they were destitute and they came to the Lord, they had addictions, and then their life turned around and a lot of times it seems to kind of end with where their natural life came to be of decency or thriving or prosperity. Their money used good, their, um, their relationships healed and, uh, and all of those things. But that's not quite it. Just because our natural circumstances have turned around, and they will if we trust in God, that's not the final piece of what he wants out of us. What he wants is our souls to grow into maturity. What he wants is for our souls to be revived by his spirit. Not just a one-time conversion experience where we had a crisis, we came to God, and then that crisis resolved, and then our natural circumstances improved, and then we go on, and then we plateaued out. That's not it. Instead, he wants us to rise again. There's something beyond just the conversion experience. There's something beyond just baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead, he wants us to grow up into maturity. As it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, to grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And how does he do that? He does that by pouring his spirit into us and having a harvest. That's what he does. He pours out his spirit into us and there is a harvest within. I want you to read this. He doesn't, you know, that, 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 if you had just stopped at verse 27, that was plenty in terms of answering the prayer. But it doesn't stop there. And it says, verse 28, and afterward, didn't need to, but he does. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Here it's talking about an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon flesh, not rain upon the land and crops. That's the natural. But an outpouring of His Spirit upon his own very image, which is flesh and blood, you and me. He will pour out his spirit. He will make no distinctions. Men, women, all tribes and nations. He will pour out his spirit. And there is going to be a tremendous harvest spiritually. Spiritually. God wants a spiritual harvest within us. Where are we today? compared to where we were at one time. Are we bearing fruit in the same way that we once did? Do we need a refreshment 
of his outpouring of his spirit into us? Are we dry within? That's vertical. When he pours his spirit into us, we grow. We grow. That's the nourishment. That's the vertical aspect. But there is also a horizontal aspect to that outpouring, that he would pour it out upon all flesh. He wants to pour out his spirit into this world, into unto all people, that there would be a spiritual harvest by his spirit. That was the ultimate restoration that God had in mind, which began with a natural calamity. And God wants us to experience the spiritual revival that comes by the outpouring of his spirit. And this is the very passage that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2. We don't have time to turn there, but he quotes this word for word. But I want you to pay attention to this scripture in Acts chapter 2. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. What is that representing? That is representing the presence of God. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. I'll, t I'll take you there. This is, um, um, we can turn to Exodus very quickly. Exodus chapter um, 19 and verse, uh, we'll read from verse 17. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. This is how God revealed himself in, in the Old Covenant in the book of Exodus and Mount Sinai. So this, this scripture in, in the book of Joel is not just brought you know, to give imagery, but he is referring to what happened at Mount Sinai, that there was fire and billows of smoke, and God showed himself in that. And we know what happened. They were so afraid that they said, Moses, you speak on behalf of us. We are too afraid to encounter God. You be our representative. We see there's another passage that you, you don't, we don't have to turn there in terms of smoke and fire. Abraham had it when he, when God was finishing his covenant. I'll, just, I'll give you the scripture verse. You can look this up on your own. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 17. So he cut up the, 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 the rams and the goats into halves, and then it says a smoking pot and a blazing torch went in between, and that was God's way of confirming his covenant 
with Abraham. So the smoke and fire that we see in the Old Testament is present, um, is, is describing God's presence. And interestingly enough, it's not just that I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That outpouring experience, that's not all that Peter was referring to. Peter was also referring to this fire that was present in the Old Testament. What we see in Acts chapter 1 is what? That as they all gathered in that upper room and as they spent time in prayer, there was a rush of a mighty wind and something that rested upon them as cloven tongues of fire. And that's the same fire, but in the new covenant. It's not the fire that brought fear on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel, but in the new covenant was a fire by the Holy Spirit that rested upon his people. And they were no longer finding themselves in Mount Sinai, but they were now in Mount Zion. You and I are not in that mountain where fear and, and, and awe are present, but instead we are in a, in, in a mountain where we have been delivered by God. And the fire that is present today is the fire of his Holy Spirit that dwells among us. I'll take you to that passage so that you can always remember. This is one of my favorite, favorite scriptures so that you can remember this. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Um, and um, we, could, we could probably read up till 23. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. That's where we are now. Interesting that Peter never, never mentions that, that, you know, all who call, who comes to the Mount Zion will be, will, will find deliverance. Why? Because he knew, he knew we have arrived at Mount Zion. How do we, how do we make that ours? Because he reveals it to us by his spirit and by faith, we take that and we make it ours. Peter knew at that point, that's where I have brought you, Peter. I fulfilled that passage in the church. Everything you read about in the book of Joel, you have now seen in its fulfillment. Here we are 2,000 years later. That's not just an event. That is an ongoing experience for you and me. That the fire of God's presence still dwells in the midst of his people. He is a real presence that dwells in our midst. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will strengthen us. And in this covenant, that fire is a fire of covenant. And we have that tremendous experience in God 
by his Holy Spirit, by the infilling of his Holy Spirit. And we have to constantly, that's why it says, you know, quench not the Spirit. You know, fan the flames of the Spirit. Because that's the experience in the New Covenant. And may the Lord um, really help us to realize what this, what this passage means for us in, 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 in today's day and age. If we, if we need to stay alive in this time spiritually, the fire within us is going to have to rage brightly. The path of the just is a shining light that grows brighter and brighter until that perfect day. And that fire within us has to glow very, very bright during this time. Spending time in God's presence, praying in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being renewed in the Spirit is so incredibly important. So, the plague, it happens, but it leads to repentance which will then lead us into restoration. And ultimately, it will take us into revival. May we press into God's presence during this time and ask what it is that he wants from us as individuals, what it is he wants from us as a church, as a people, as a body at large. What does he want from the church at large? What is he doing? He will shake his church again and again and again. Take us right out of that slumber. Take us right out of religious living and, and, and going through the motions. He'll, he'll awaken us. And a lot of times it's a rude awakening, but we're happy when it's, when it's done. We want to be alive. You know, a lot of people talk about, I just want to feel alive. They don't know what they're talking about. When your spirit is alive, everything is alive. When your spirit is not alive, you know, you can have millions and millions of dollars. It just, everything just seems dull. Everything just seems to pale. You know, you buy something really expensive and for a couple of days, it's great. A couple of weeks, it's great. But eventually, it starts to pale. All things in the natural are like that. But spiritual living is something very different. It seems to just get better and better and better. It just seems to get more and more alive. And that's the experience that we need to get into. May he set us ablaze during this season. Don't lose hope. Don't let your faith grow cold. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. Intercede for one another. And in just a little while, we're going to be back together again, as Pastor Hoffman says, and I look forward to, uh, to worshiping that we're all here as um, as members of his precious body. And I think if this has been a time where we have all appreciated what it is to be a body and gain strength from one another, the gifts and ministries that each and every person has that we're able to transfer to one another. So let's stir those gifts up and keep them alive and ready to go and use them as best we can during this time. May God richly bless you. Let's just pray and close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Father, I pray that there were some truths in this that were of some edification spiritually to your people. Father, that we were able to gain something from your word. Father, something that makes us grow. Something that, that 
stirs the fire within us, O oh Lord. We don't want to grow cold. We don't want to grow um, weary, but we want to be awake. We want to be quickened by your spirit at all times, O oh Father. We just ask that you would fill us with your spirit, sustain us by your grace. All the people that are struggling in any which way, whether it's with the infection or family members with this infection or work situations because of this pandemic, Lord, or any other way that you would just intercede at this time, Lord, and that you would take control of that situation. Help us to just let go and let you handle those situations, O oh Lord, and pray for this church, that you would sustain this church and all the people. Give us a wonderful night of rest. We commit ourselves into your hands once again, in Jesus' name. Amen.